Hello and welcome to another episode of Bright Future with your host, Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam. This is a political and philosophical podcast that follows current events, primarily in the United States, but it does also include the rest of the world. We look at our nation's and our world's problems, laws, views, people, and issues, our possible solutions to those issues, and how we might do better so that there may one day be a bright future. As always, the rules for our debate. Rule number one, do not insult others, but instead discuss and debate each other's arguments in a respectful manner. Rule two is to keep your opinions flexible to take into account new information, perspectives, and ideas. Rule three is Hanlon's razor. Do not attribute to malice that which can be attributed to just plain stupidity. Rule four, Occam's razor. Keep in mind that simpler explanations that make the least assumptions are more likely to be correct. Rule five is Hitchens' razor. That which can be stated without evidence can also be dismissed without evidence. However, there are some exceptions to this, like basic universal truths, like the Earth is no blade spheroid. And lastly, rule six is the Sagan standard. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence to prove. While I do record these episodes in a voice chat that anyone is free to join, this podcast isn't popular enough yet to regularly have other members join to follow these rules. That being said, these rules do stand for the comments if you're listening to this on YouTube, or for my chat room and my Discord. They also apply directly to me, and I always keep them in mind when writing and recording these episodes. With no further delay, let's begin. For this week, just so we're getting our terms straight, annexation is an international law where one country forcibly takes another country's land. Because it's basically stealing, it's largely considered to be illegal. Last week, September 30th, 2022, Biden put out a statement titled, On Russia's Attempts to Annex Ukrainian Territory. That sounds like a good enough excuse to try and tackle the entire Russia-Ukrainian war in one podcast episode. To be clear, I will fail at this, so please go and investigate this for yourself. There's a lot more than what I'm going to be able to cover just in one episode. But let's go to Biden's statement. In his statement, he outlines how the United States, together with our allies, are announcing new sanctions to impose costs on both individuals and groups that provide support to Russia's attempts to change the status of Ukrainian territory. On September 30th, 2022, on Friday, the Russian government signed an, annex an annexation treaty with Russian-appointed officials, which formerly annexed the southeast section of the entire country of Ukraine. The annexed land makes up 15% of Ukraine. This is the largest annexation of European territory since 1945. This isn't the first time Russia has actually annexed part of Ukraine. In early 2014, Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine. They justified it by holding a vote where 96% of Crimea's population voted in favor of the annexation. A few weeks ago, Russia held a similar vote in the same territory that it annexed on Friday. However, this time we have these little things called cell phones. You might have heard of them. They're cheap enough that almost everyone has one. And they almost always have a decent quality camera and are capable of recording videos. The videos taken of this vote show armed soldiers knocking on doors and demanding citizens in the street that they vote on if they support Russia controlling the territory in which they live. That sounds like an effective political campaign, right? Vote for me. Let me clearly show you that I have a firearm. Russia and officials claim that the vote passed with 93% of the voters in favor of joining Russia. 
I'm not sure if that's even true either. But you you can see why the rest of the world doesn't see that vote as legit, right? It's just, uh... The rest of the world is, of course, pretty upset about this. Because Russia held a full-on ceremony in their capital to celebrate their annexation. And right after, the United Nations Security Council held a meeting in an effort to condemn Russia for this action. The vote resulted in 10 yes votes, 4 abstain votes, and 1 no vote. The 1 no vote was Russia, of course, who also holds a high enough seat in the United Nations to veto the whole thing. The president of Ukraine is understandably pissed about this whole situation, saying that he's unwilling to negotiate with Russia for as long as Putin is president. I find that part hilarious. As long as Putin is president. According to Russia's constitution, the president is directly elected through a popular vote to a six-year term and is limited to no more than two terms in a row. But Putin had an eight-year term from 2000 to 2008, and then was prime minister from 2008 to 2012, and is now in his third and fourth presidential term since 2012. Russia has had its four presidents since its creation after the Soviet Union broke up in 1991, and of those four presidents, Putin's two of them. On top of that, he keeps changing the constitution, animal farm style, so that he can keep being president. With the changes to the constitution, Putin can be president for six terms, all the way until 2036. So, you're not willing to negotiate while Putin is president? I think you might as well have just said, I'm not willing to negotiate, because Putin being president is not going to change. Ukraine is also requesting a fast-track NATO membership for assistance. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, is a military alliance between 30 countries, including the United States, Canada, and just over half of Europe. It was initially created as a check posed as a check against the threat posed by the Soviet Union, but it stuck around quite well because it's a purely defensive alliance, meaning that in the charter, if one of the nations in the group is attacked by another, all of NATO is required to assist in the defense of the attack nation. An attack on one is an attack on all. However, the same is not true if the member of NATO attacks another country. For example, if Ukraine was a member of NATO and Russia attacked Ukraine, which they did earlier this year, then the rest of NATO would be required to help defend Ukraine. However, if Russia was part of NATO and decided to invade Ukraine, the rest of NATO would be under no obligation to assist Russia. The kicker is, if both Russia and Ukraine were in NATO and Russia invaded Ukraine, NATO would defend Ukraine and condemn Russia, no matter what. So it's pretty understandable that Ukraine wants to get into NATO. I'm guessing the rest of Russia's neighbors would also like to jump into this ship here. Heck, if the whole world was in NATO, would we be able to end wars altogether? No nation would ever dare to attack another for few of retribution from every other nation on the planet. But the scenario I'm suggesting where every country is in NATO could also easily turn into the same powder keg that started World War I, where a complicated web of treaties and alliances meant that when two countries went to war, every country was forced to pick a side. With NATO's current charter, it would be easy. Who shot first? 
defend whichever country got attacked and persecute the aggressor. But as NATO's charter shifted from total defense to anything but, that could quickly change. This is why Putin started this whole thing in the first place. He's justifying the invasion as to protect against NATO aggression. But he also justified it by saying that Ukraine was governed by neo-Nazis and even said that it was a special military operation and not an invasion. So I'm not sure if I'm going to trust that. If you twist things around a little, okay, if you twist things around a lot, this could be seen as somehow a defensive action, Russia invading Ukraine. You see, Russia's border with the rest of Europe is about 4,000 miles long, but if you remove Ukraine, excuse me, if you remove Ukraine, Russia's border with the rest of Europe would only be about 2,700 miles long. That means you would have substantially less border to guard in the event of an invasion. On top of that, after Russia annexed Crimea, they needed to be able to get to Crimea, because Crimea isn't attached to the rest of Russia by land. So in order to do that, Russia built the world's largest bridge, the Crimea Bridge. It's 11.8 miles long, that way they can actually get there. However, the bridge isn't able to support all Russian Crimea traffic, and Crimea was annexed in 2014, the bridge only opened in 2019. As a result, during that five-year gap, Russia ended up paying Ukraine over $20 billion to get access to Crimea, to cross through Ukraine and get to Crimea. The reason why Crimea is so important is because with it, Russia can get easy access to the Eastern Mediterranean, the Balkans, the Middle East, and in theory from there, the rest of Europe, by sea. This is incredibly useful for Russia because their number one export is crude oil. This is about the point while researching this episode that I found an article titled Russia-Ukraine Gas Disputes. There have been nearly yearly disputes over oil and natural gas flowing from Russia through Ukraine and to the rest of the European countries since 2005, and almost all of these disputes are about money involved or owed through it. No matter how much Putin says that this is about liberating the Ukrainian people, I can't help but feel that this entire war just boils down to money, oil, and gas. And I hate that. There's nothing meaningful behind it. Let's go back to Biden's statement. The statement outlines how we will provide Ukraine with equipment and Congress willing $12 billion in, $12 billion in support. Since I initially wrote this episode, that $12 billion has now passed through Congress and been signed into law. Also, as I said earlier... Biden's statement outlines how some sanctions against those who support Russia's annexation would be levied. Is this enough? To be honest, the general reaction from the rest of the world feels like a lot of finger-wagging and scolding, but no real action. What could we be doing? In theory, tariffs, which are basically steep taxes, could be levied against anything that Russia imports for most of the world. Four of five Russia's main import partners voted to condemn Russia in the United Nations vote I talked about earlier, and the fifth, China, abstained from voting. Mostly, Russia imports mechanical parts from China and food from everyone else. Russia, well, not Russia, but the Soviet Union, has had major problems with famine in the past, and Russia could as well. 
because they import all of their food from Germany, Belarus, Italy, and France. And if those far countries either started implementing tariffs against Russia or stopped sending food to Russia in protest altogether, it could put Russia in a real chokehold. It wouldn't allow them to do very much. But this move would probably only result in the Russian civilian population starving. Russia has already shown that it doesn't care what its own people want after it met protests of the Ukrainian invasion with mass arrests and media censorship, including a ban on the words war and invasion. Yes, I just, uh, I just intentionally got this episode banned in Russia with those two words. As I've continued digging into various Wikipedia articles and the references linked in those articles, I eventually came across Weapons of Mass Destruction. Putin's been hinting at these just a little too much, hasn't he? But I got to thinking, wait, doesn't Ukraine have nukes too, and doesn't that make mutually assured destruction a factor? As it turns out, when Ukraine became independent from Soviet Union in 1991, they inherited roughly 1,700 nuclear warheads, making them instantly the third largest nuclear superpower in the world. However, in 1994, they actually made the rather responsible decision to dismantle all of them and instead rely on the Budapest Memorandum, which is a treaty. The Budapest Memorandum is a treaty that prohibits Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States from threatening or using military or economic force against Russia, or sorry, against Ukraine, Belarus, Kazakhstan, except in defense of those nations. Why is no one mentioning this? Ukraine has been invaded three times since the Budapest Memorandum was signed, and clearly Russia signed it, specifically stating that they would respect Ukraine's borders, refrain from the threat or use of force against them, refrain from economic coercion, and refrain from the use of nuclear arms against them, and seek Security Council action to provide assistance should they become the victim of an act of aggression, or the object of a threat of an aggression in which nuclear weapons are used. So, what should our president do about this? Clearly, the treaty says a nuclear response should be used if necessary, and the longer this goes on, the more and more it looks like it might become necessary. Putin has been making all kinds of threats with nuclear weapons since the fourth day of the invasion, as a way to ward off all direct intervention from every other country. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lar... Lav <laughs> I cannot pronounce the name. Sergei Lar Lavrov even said that with further support of Ukraine could potentially lead to a World War III scenario involving Russia's full arsenal of weapons. As much as I think we should be waving our big stick right back at them, I also really, really, really don't want to be obliterated in a nuclear holocaust or stuck wandering a Fallout-style apocalypse. Should we try to bring Russia into line with the rest of the world and risk a second Cold War or even a third World War? Or should we be trying to de-escalate the situation and attempt to mitigate the chance? I often look at the choices in these episodes to try and find a third way out, but I've got nothing. Both these choices suck, and the middle ground like President Biden's sanctions and financial support feel weak and as if they're an ultimately symbolic gesture. I hope DARPA's made some major advancements on anti-ICBM defenses. Something about laser heads 
lasers that destroy warheads in midair. Why did I say laser heads? I, I'm not editing that part out. I'll, I'll go back to – I'm not going to remove that. Another thing to note on our essay section here, during the invasion, the I'm going to I'm going to have a crack at pronouncing this one, but I'm probably going to butcher it. The Zafor Heresia nuclear power plant has become the center of a still ongoing crisis. The power plant is the largest of its kind in Europe, and the infrastructure has almost completely been destroyed through Russian shelling. Well, through shelling, not necessarily Russian. We don't know. Thankfully, a nuclear safety expert, Attila Azarai, has declared that the Chernobyl-type disaster is not physically possible. Chernobyl was basically caused by the technicians fiddling with the volume dials a lot and being baffled by there being no change until finally someone hit the mute button and there's this massive blast of sound. For... Zephyrasia, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> There's been a few mere ni near misses and multiple military strikes, seemingly from both sides. Due to the connection to the power grid being constantly damaged or even outright severed, it was impossible to shut down all six reactors until the grid was finally somewhat stable on the 11th of September. And because Russia has continued to refuse to created demilitarized zone around the power plant, all six reactors are in a cold shutdown mode and will stay that way. Finally, I thought I would have this last thing to say to Putin directly, even though this podcast episode is banned in Russia because of the words war and invasion. If you're going to claim to have the most high-tech military, you should probably back that up with some kind of Starfleet communicator. Maybe a Star Wars-type hologram? I mean... Poland has a stealth tank that can't be spotted by radar and moves at over 70 miles an hour. The United States is the fastest and stealthiest plane in existence, and nothing else has hope of catching it. Japan has the largest, most heavily armed battleship in the world, while yours got sunk, and you have a fax machine and a pair of landlines. The title of this podcast, Bright Future, is a hope that our future world will be better than our today world. However, another interpretation of those words, bright future, could be the flash of nuclear bombs destroying that hope forever. Normally this would be the end of my essay section of this episode, and I would go to the voice chat and we'd have a discussion with other people here, but this week there isn't anyone with me, so... I'm going to be ending this episode here. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Bright Future. Feel free to comment on this episode on YouTube, discuss this and other topics on my Discord server, or join the conversation live on Twitch. New episodes are recorded every Monday at 7pm Central Time, and are released every Tuesday at 6pm Central. See you next week.